Ahí va Bota. Pelota para Eric Gutiérrez. Cae solo. El gol. Bota, gol. Hello and welcome to a very, very special edition of the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra. Now today I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by a very special guest. His name is Jonathan Himmelfarb. He is the head scout for Club Puebla. Yes, the Liga Mekis team, Puebla. He is also the under-23 coach for the St. Kitts and Nevis national team. So I'm sure he's going to offer some fantastic insight for us. Jonathan, welcome to the, to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Tom. Thank you. Uh, thank you for such um, a great introduction. And uh, I'm great. Thanks. Fantastic. How about you? I'm very well, very well. And um, thank you very much, you know, on behalf of myself and everyone listening. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I know you're in St. Kitts right now, so, so thank you very much. You could have been out on the beach, but, but you're here talking, talking to me. So really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Okay, so uh, let's get straight into things. And I've got a few questions um, from some people on Twitter. Uh, so I'm just going to go into them now. The first one uh, is going to come from at KansasCityan87. He asks about the eye test, a quote-unquote eye test. You know, a player who passes the eye test, what do they possess? Well, the the eye test, it's a very... I mean, it can be very different for, for every... I'm not going to say every scout, for every every person who watches football. I mean, the eye test for me is just the, the, first, the first step, a very general step when you are watching any game. For us, it's... Uh, very common in Copa Libertadores, for example, uh, and you're watching the game between, let's say, uh, Atlético Nacional from Medellín and uh, Peñarol from Uruguay, and you start watching the game, and you're just watching it like a regular fan, and some player, because I don't know any reason, uh, he stands out from the rest, and you and you realize he could be an interesting player. For me, that's the eye test. I I usually um, remember the names of the players, so I, I keep him, and then I'll try to watch another game of the team, and in a very general way, I I'll try to to to, to look a little bit more uh, a little bit more about him, and that for me that's the eye test. I mean, there's no, no nothing uh, much more sophisticated than that. That's for me that would be the eye test, and of course, being that the eye test means that I have hundreds of players that have already gone through my eye test. Mm. After that, uh, of course, there's a, a follow-up process, which, I mean, every has a different uh, way of doing it. For me, the follow-up process is to then go into my softwares, go into my scouting people in, in Puebla, and then we, we take a closer look to the player. We then watch five, six uh, games of the player, the last five of the last six, maybe if he has a, a, a game playing in the national team, if he has a game playing in an international tournament, in the local tournament, we try to watch one play, uh, one, one game playing as, a, as when his team is uh, the local team. Then we go and watch one when his team is, is on the road away. We watch uh, games in, in which the player and uh, in which the team of the player is winning easily. And then we watch games when the team of the player is losing in tight games everything we try to we try to get uh, the most accurate uh, impression of the player that would be 
like a first th th that will be the first formal or the be the first uh, let's say professional step in a, in a scouting process after that if we keep our interest in, our interest in the player we we build a specific profile in which we check uh, how does the player uh, behaves in every aspect of the game in, in technical tactical mentally physically uh, how how he behaves in the moments of the game for example when the team has the ball when the team loses the ball in the in all the transitions in the set pieces and and we start building a, a profile of course we check all his history if he has uh, if, he, if if he had had in, uh, interesting injuries and and stuff like that and all the time uh, we try to to of course understand what has brought the player to where he's right now sometimes you you when you're scouting a player who's been professional for 10 years I mean you have a lot of information sometimes when you're scouting a youngster or a player who you want to include to the to your let's say in Mexico to one of our under 20 teams it's it's a very different uh, process and after that, of course, then let's say we are, for example, I'll talk as an example of Alejandro Chumacero, mm -hmm. who is a, we, that we just brought last season and we, have, we are thrilled to have with Phoenix. Uh, for example, then you need to match all the, the interest with the financial possibilities of the team because every team has different possibilities. Uh, the commercial possibilities, the commercial potential of the player, and I'm by this I mean... For example, with Chumacero, it's a it's an example that I like a lot because since he comes from a very different market to the ones that we're used to in Mexico, of course that now Puebla is a very very popular team in Bolivia, and uh, and then well the most important part and the one that I I really specialize at is the the, the football part the the sporting part uh, when you need to to take the player of course to the coaching staff because it it's not a matter of of who decides it's a matter of we as a as the the scouting and the soccer intelligence department being totally in the same page of the of the coaching staff and agree in in if the player is the, the player that they need for their system for their way of play for their everything and if it's for us an interesting player to have because we need to match over there we need to match uh, our our ideas and our expectations and and our everything because otherwise it, I mean, I can bring the best player in the world, but if it's not of, if the coaching staff doesn't like him or it's not the kind of player that they need, I mean, he's not even going to play. Mm. So it's it's a phenomenally thorough and holistic approach, you know. For nothing's nothing's left a chance, really, is it? It's from the sounds of it, you know, you're you're looking at absolutely everything, and um, I, I think that. That perhaps many people may not realise. I, I guess the amount of work that goes into just signing one player. Um, absolutely fascinating to hear that. Uh, and I, I just just to follow up from that. Um, same say a question from the same person, and you've you've hinted at a lot of it really. Is um, you know what is a day in the life of a scout? I, I guess you've you've sort of spoken about that already. Well, not not really. I mean, uh, the, the interesting thing, as you just said, is that of course it's tons of work just to get one player, and and as soon as you get a player and and you have all the scouting process, of course it's tons of work. But when that player is Alejandro Chumacero, for example, it's 
gives you, I mean, as as a as a professional, it gives you a great ton of pleasure because <laughs> uh, uh, you get him. But as the same way that we did with Alejandro Chumacero, we we still do this very similar process with a lot of players, but that we really don't sign because one thing or the other, maybe at the last time another offer for another club with which is a better offer for for the player comes and that absolutely absolutely is frustrating but it's i mean it's part of the absolutely. it's part of yeah and uh, getting to your your question uh, the day the day today in in the life of a scout it's i mean i don't have a, I, I don't have an average day to be honest I, I i do not do the same things every day um, because I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, life and I don't think my work works like that. For example, I'm very close. To, I'm also work as a as a head of the performance analysis department in Puebla, and and that's a great step because to be to be the scouting uh, to, to begin a scouting network, uh, it's okay. But to me to begin an accurate scouting network, it's it's better when you know exactly what you have inside. I mean, the first scouting uh, let's say exercise that I do every week is to watch inside our club Who, which players do we have already training with the with the first team that could be interesting looking forward which players do we have in the academy which players do we have uh, who might be ready next year in the u20 team in the second division team that we hold and which players do we have on loan right now that could be that could be interesting uh, going through next season and after that then you begin to have an idea of what you really need and what you don't so, so that's that's something that I I, I work on a, a lot. But also, okay, so I, I I go to the first team practice every day to the training session because I think it's very important to see how players behave, to see how what exactly is the coaching staff looking for in their drills, in their uh, strategy looking forward to games, in any 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 regard really. I mean, how players behave, how our players uh, accept or how our players behave with the new players and, and all of those things are become very very important so my average day let's say I'll go to the training session that it almost every day begins at 9 or 10 uh, a.m. in the morning after that uh, I'll answer a lot of a lot of calls a lot of agents and, and, and people send players and options and stuff and after that, I'll, of course, I'll spend a lot of time watching football, watching players, uh, and reading, reading about uh, new players, new ways, new systems, new things of doing uh, everything. And of course, since we are beginning really to build this uh, sports intelligence department in Puebla right now, uh, I spend a lot of time really well continue the, the the building process of our our new area. So it's a busy day. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just a, I, I just got a very short follow-up. How do you know how many games on average you watch a week? How many football matches? Well, to be honest, when I watch uh, a full game, a complete game, I'm really in my free time right. because I mean most of the time, and thanks to the to the technology, the softwares like Wisecout, Instat. We have a Mexican one that it's called stats, which is very different to the other ones that helps us with, with, with things. I really, I've, I've really become a little bit lazy about it, and I, I sometimes watch the separated actions. But uh, busy games, 
uh, could be like between complete games. I'm sorry, it could be between uh, let's say twenty to thirty a week. And that's uh, that's in your free time, or yeah, well, mostly, mostly yeah. when I, I mean, for example, here in Mexico, Champions League almost comes uh, at time when we are at the office, so mm. I'm not. I count that as uh, my free time or my working time, but I'll, I'll watch them for sure. Sure, sure. All right, uh, let's get to another question from Twitter. And again, on a similar theme, it comes from uh, at Gearesteam51, who asks, how do you evaluate the mental aspect of a player? I think this is a, a really fantastic question. So I'm very interested yeah. to hear your answer. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Well, first of all, the, the mental aspect of a player, I'll I like to divide this this answer in two parts. First sure. of all, is the mental performance during games, which is a which is something that could be uh, you can be a little bit more accurate about. I think mental performance during games it means how the player behaves in the different situations of games, and it's a very very important because I mean mostly in Mexico, I believe that that that's a that's a principle of the game that we lack a lot, unfortunately, and we have done that historically. You can see that in our mostly you can it's been reflected unfortunately again in our performance during World Cups mostly the last five or six years. So, so at the end of the day, it is um, how do you do that? While I mean that's that's an exercise that I like to do, watching every aspect of the history of the player in games. I like to watch how has he react to different situations, to winning situations, to losing situations. Which is is, is his performance different when uh, the games are at the beginning of the season, or we're talking about the liguilla or the playoff? He, how does he behaves uh, playing on the road? How does he behaves playing home? How does he behaves when uh, the referee uh, takes a bad decision against him? The other way around, and I'll, I'll try. To I'll try to. I'll really try to to watch the player in in every in every scenario, in every aspect of the game that he has had. That that will be the mental performance during games. Of course, asking people who who might know the player closely mm. helps always. And the second part is the personal behavior, which has every time became more important in in professional sports. I I will talk about football, of course. The person, the personal behavior of a player—it's, I mean, you, the the most efficient way, to be honest, right now that I have found about this is to talk about to talk about him with people that really knows him close, and that has no interest, uh, uh, no interest in in with the player. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. No vested interest. I yeah. Hire any player, I want to to have the opinion of of someone who knows him but he's not his friend or he mm. has nothing to do with the negotiation we are about to mm -hmm. to make then of course you can right now you with all the information that it's uh, uh, very easy to get you can go into the internet and, and uh, search for news about the player and stuff but really I mean it, it really it's a it's a it's a matter and it's a part of the of the scouting process which we are a little bit uh, undeveloped uh, undeveloped about mm. because it's it's not an easy part of course you can of course it's a very important part of the scouting process to go uh, physically to where the player is to have dinner with him 
But one once a friend of mine in a in a meeting that we had told me that he went to Colombia to to watch uh, a specific player who's now in Liga MX, and he told me that he he had a meeting with him prior to a game that he was playing this that weekend, and uh, he told him due to your uh, biotype, to your physical uh, to your physical structure, you are very uh, likely to have some kind of arm strain. And he said, and he asked, had you had this kind of, of, of injuries before? And, they, and the player answered, no, never. I have no problem whatsoever with that. And and stand on that. Next day in the game, he had exactly the injury that the scout asked him to. So, and, and that's now a successful player who plays in Liga MX wow. right now. And it's incredible, but I mean, of course, that if you go there physically and watch the game and talk with the player, you again, the margin of error gets a little bit tighter. But again, I mean, there's that, that's a part of the of the of the scouting process that I would really like to get better at in the in the following in the following years. Do you think? I mean, do you have any ideas of, of how you can get better? Is is it perhaps? Uh, going away and, and learning more about psychology or do you think there's perhaps anything that can be done um, even even perhaps statistically say looking at player performances uh, like you said player performances on the road compared to at home or when they're losing compared to where they're winning you know do you have any sort of ideas of, of how you you're, you're planning to improve for the first time for the first part of my for my answer, yes, I, I do believe that uh, watching the player in more situations will get you to a much accurate analysis of, of who the player really is during games. Mm-hmm. But it's impossible to keep track of the player's uh, personal life and personal behavior. And since this is a, a really a social science, it's very very difficult to to bring to the equation every kind of 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 you know factor, every kind of of possibility that changes how the player behaves or how the player will feel in another in another in a totally different uh, place in a totally different country yeah totally different environment different yeah yeah absolutely it, it depends in a lot of a lot of factors that we really I mean I'm not sure that I'm, I'm sure that right now we can't but I'm not sure that someday we will be able to to really uh, consider them and evaluate them in a more accurate way mm. okay um, very very interesting stuff uh, we've got a couple more questions from Twitter uh, one comes from at L underscore gaucho 8 who asks what level of education and, and courses are necessary to become a scout in Liga Mekis well I again think there's no such a, no such a thing as a standard process uh, personally, I have I I took a couple of of scouting uh, courses. I had my different football courses, and personally, I two years ago I co-founded a, a company uh, named Box to Box Analytics, which was uh, trying to give this sports intelligence to 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 teams. We wanted uh, what we what we did was we had the information uh, taken out from the software. And we we used to analyze it and and sell them to to teams mostly uh, Ascenso teams in Mexico. That that will be my my professional pre experience before coming to Puebla. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in the in the scouting uh, area. That's my personal uh, experience. I don't really uh, know which is the, the education needed. I'll, I'll really, I mean, in, of course, there are courses that I'm willing and I want to take, and I'll be taking the next uh, few months. But before that, I'll, I'll really, I really believe that the experience is what, it's what is, it's much more evaluated right now in Mexico. Right, right. Experience over education. Very, very interesting. Uh, Final couple of questions from Twitter. Um, at Tim underscore Sokol asks, how is it that so few Central Americans end up in Liga Mekis? And there's a follow-up to that from at El Piru, who um, says to piggyback on that, add Caribbeans. And, and obviously with you working with St. Kitts and Nevis, this is perhaps an area of, of added interest for you. It is indeed. Uh, well, first, it's again an, a very interesting question. Uh, the thing with with it is I, I I would say that first of all we have uh, uh, something that is very unfortunate in Mexico is that we will rather make a mistake with players coming from a place that we already uh, know or are considered places places where with good players even there is a there is a quote in, in Spanish that uh, it is uh, I will say it in Spanish it's Más vale malo, más vale malo por conocido que bueno por conocer, and uh, which means really that I'd rather have a, a, a player that is not good from a place that we know that have something new from a place that 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 we don't, and you, you can see that I mean most of the teams will rather get an Argentinian mm -hmm. and uh, maybe a, a player from Chile or. Colombia. Colombia, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying I have nothing against those players. Great players from those countries are in the Liga right now and have come and, and stuff. But but really, I mean, it's it's a a, a thing that that really annoys me because what, as for me, the, the the job of a scout is to get good players, and it, and to be honest, in the in personal experience, it's something that we have really been trying to do in Puebla. Uh, you can see it. We have a Canadian player. We have a who has had an outstanding uh, Absolutely. performance. Yeah, a, Cavallini. A yes, we have a, a player from Bolivia, Alejandro Chumacero, who has been exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, well, uh, Peruvian players are now. Uh, we have now a lot of Peruvian players in Mexico, and we, we brought Anderson Santa Maria, who is very probably going to be in the World Cup, and we are very happy for him. And uh, well, so we, we we have really tried to to take a very different look at the market. But answering, getting back to your question, uh, the thing I I believe with Central America, I I will divide Central America in places like, for example, Nicaragua, Guatemala, and El Salvador are very similar biotype to the Mexican ones, and they are countries which football is undeveloped so very few players from from those countries have come to mexico in the last years i can remember of of el pescadito ruiz who was actually who actually played in puebla the but he was one of the he might be the best player in guatemala's history yeah, yeah. and i believe that tigres uh, had alexander larin who is a, a left back from el salvador who really never who they loaned him to teams in the Ascenso, but he never... I, I, I'm not really sure what happened with him, but he's not anymore in the league. And so, so that's, that's, 
I will say that's the thing with those three countries. Then you have another different Central American countries, like, for example, Honduras and Panama, who have very different biotypes. Honduras, uh, it's it's something that I cannot explain because they have great talent, great passion for the game, and and good players from Honduras have come to the league and they are now in MLS. For example, Albertellis, Albertellis is a player that I like a lot, yeah, who was same. bought by Monterrey a couple of years ago. He never really had the chance, maybe because Monterrey uh, needs uh, players to perform uh, almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. he's, he's playing at a very high level and with great potential uh, with Houston Dynamo in the MLS. And Panama, it's for me one of the most interesting markets right now. Football in Panama is growing very, very quickly. They have great players uh, among the world. They have very good players locally, great talent, passion for the game. And uh, well, they are now in the World Cup, and it's a, a proof of that. And th- th- that's a country that we're really keeping track of. So I personally, I think that... Uh, Mexican teams do not look to these markets because of because they are afraid most of the times. So that's that's my honest answer. And uh, if you're a Puebla fan, I can tell you that you very probably are going to see players from from very, let's say, exotic markets <laughs> sooner than later. Fantastic! Um, it's exciting to hear. Uh, and what about the Caribbean? Um, obviously, with the Caribbean, you've got that additional language barrier. Most you know, most places aren't Spanish-speaking countries. Is is that an additional issue for Caribbean players? It is. It is really at the time, but it's not only a matter of the language. Also, the the culture is it's very very different. Players mm, mm. uh, in most islands of the Caribbean, mostly the the small ones like Saint Kitts, are not professional. Are semi-professional most of them. So, of course, there's an interesting. That's a very interesting player. A very interesting project. The talent here is amazing. The per capita talent, it's something that you wouldn't believe as a soccer fan. People is very passionate for the game. You every corner of the street of the country, and it's something that you don't see anymore in big cities like Mexico City or London for you or mm. etc. Play people here, kids really play, are really still playing on the street. Are really still playing with uh, an old ball, and and they build goals with rocks. And and Fantastic. that's passion for the game that 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 really helps them. They compete, but the structure is, I mean, it's still very very undeveloped. You need to players do not have the proper training. Of course, that 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 doesn't develop them as good as they they could be developed. They don't eat properly, and most of the times players have another job. They need to to earn money. They need to 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 eat. To be honest, yeah, so they yeah. they cannot uh, they cannot give the time that it really takes to to become a a professional player in a high level like Mexican league. Do you see any potential for uh, perhaps Liga Mekis teams setting up um, maybe academies abroad? I mean, they they're starting to do this in America. Pachuca have have an academy in the US. Do you see the potential to, to maybe do that in countries in Central America, the Caribbean, where, like you say, there just isn't that, that money available um, to, to play professionally right now? 
for, well, for many places. The, yeah, yeah, those would be great, great <laughs> projects with a great revenue in every kind of the of the in every possible kind. I mean, players here have uh, an incredible biotape, a great talent, and of course, if a, if a team uh, has the money, has the resources, has the time, and has the patience, which is very important in this kind of project, to build an academy here to give uh, uh, to give these players the opportunity to to have a, a competitive process just as good or, or of of the ones that the players in Mexico or, or in any uh, in any other football developed countries, uh, of course that it would be a, a project would, that would would give in every kind great revenues for the Caribbean countries, for the teams, for the players, for everything, for football in all terms, I believe. All right, well, perhaps perhaps something that, you know, uh, could be done in the future. Um, should be done. Should be done. Should be done. Right, um, so... That's the end of the Twitter questions. Uh, thank you to everyone who, who sent them in. I think I got through all of them. Uh, I just want to now, now just um, talk a, a bit more generally. You know, I've, I've got some things I, I want to ask myself and um, certainly I, I'm sure you can add plenty more insight. It's been a, a fascinating chat so far, Jonathan. Uh, so obviously we've, we've been talking a lot about Liga Mekis clubs, how, how they run um, in the past few minutes. I wanted to ask you in general, obviously you watch 20 to 30 games a week across the world. How do you rate Liga Mekis? Where do you think in terms of the standard of play and also in, the, in terms of the style of play? Where do you think it fits in? You know, what's your opinion? Yeah, well, this is a, I mean, this is a great, a great uh, topic, a great, um, it's very interesting. I, my father is a, it's a guy who likes to talk a lot about this who is all the time trying to to establish tangible uh, measures for the <laughs> leagues and it's something that I, I i don't personally i don't really know how how to do it i think that uh you can you can uh, analyze and you can compare aspect by aspect for example the mexican league i believe we have great players i have no doubt that in the top ten leagues in the world, uh, if if you if you if what you are thinking of or what you are analyzing is the, the quality of players, the Mexican league is a top ten league in the world. Yeah, of course it's between the fifth and the tenth league because I, I really believe that we have great players, uh, very very professional at the end of the day, coming from very different, uh, well not very different but but from from different environments and and really good players lots of players who play in their national team at good level so so in regarding the players i believe that we are a great then we have uh, some aspects that 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 makes it a good league we have good stadiums good infra- infrastructure we have uh, teams are are interesting are very well distributed around the country because you have then uh, you have very a lot of countries where five or eight or ten teams of the of the top division play in the same city. It's mm. not the Argentina, it's not the a great example Mexico. of that. Yeah, you have almost. I mean, not every big city has a team, but most of the big cities have have a team. Only few cities which are very big, like Guadalajara, Monterrey, and Mexico, have more than 
the one team. Now Puebla, unfortunately, Lobos is not longer a first division team uh, looking forward. But, well, Puebla is also a, a big city. And uh, that makes it interesting. Teams have a lot of history most of the times. And the teams that don't, like uh, Tijuana, for example, uh, has now built a very interesting personality. If you uh, sometimes have the opportunity to go to the, to watch a game in in the solo stadium it's a very very interesting uh, experience and uh, so it's a very nice league regarding uh, regarding that regarding that teams have their personality fans uh, are very are very often attached to their teams mostly locally because uh, if you take if you talk about it in the in the country uh, looking at all the country of course America and mostly Chivas have uh, a great base of, of fans, a very dominant base of fans, and uh, well, that that makes it an interesting league. The thing is that uh, we do not have great coaches, to be honest. I mean, we have few great coaches, and most of our coaches have been there for for a long time. I'm not saying that's bad, but I I'll, I'll say that uh, well, it's always it's always good when when coaches from a country. Uh, go outside from the country to learn to to you know to bring back eventually a very uh, biodiverse uh, to diversify the 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 profile of of, of training of strategy and uh, we to be honest on average we have a very very bad press the press in Mexico is mostly I'm not saying every every uh, journalist is bad or so no nothing like that but we have a lot of, of of people who really do not understand the game, really do not explain the game, and have no interesting, no interest whatsoever on doing that. I mean, they are much more interested in in selling notes like uh, these two players went out the night and and didn't uh, make it to training, and and that kind of notes which are, I mean, maybe sell better in the short term, but really do not help to educate the the. The, the football community in Mexico, and that's something that it's it's really bad. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think you know, just just to offer my my British perspective, uh, perhaps um, it's not Mexico is certainly not the only country which has a problem with with press that want to sell really you know gossip stories rather than educated analysis, um, because like you say, that's that's what sells in the short term in many cases, uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely something that I, I agree could could be improved upon. Um, I just want to come back to what you're saying about coaches um, in in terms of the standard not being great, uh, too many coaches that have been around for too long a period of time. Um, specifically, how do you think this harms the game in Liga MX? Is is it is it harming? Uh, tactically, is it harming from um, player development perspective? Is it harming from a mental perspective? What What are your thoughts? Well, first, just to finish the the last question, I'll, I'll, mm. I want to say, and and it's very important that I want to congratulate you, Tom, because you you really do have a very different perspective from for 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 the game in the way you you, I mean, you inform about it in your in your social media. And the fact that you're doing it for for free, it's, I mean, not for free. I mean, it's like your hobby. It makes it even greater. And I I I love your most of your your statistical analysis because it's it's great. Thank you. 
and uh, now getting back to the to the question i believe that what harms everybody is the the lack of diversity the lack of diversity in a in a in an era of globalization as the one we live right now it it really harms everybody and something that i i'm i mean i'm very disappointed of mexican football is that really in mexico people knows well co football people knows a way of doing things and i mean there's nothing bad with that way of doing things but what what really it's bad about it is that if anyone comes with a different perspective with a different way with a different strategy with a different style it it, it they before even they analyze hear it or whatever they already lock it they already are criticizing them they are already uh, even making fun when they have the the opportunity and and it's it's very sad what it's happening right now with the Mexican national team coach and I'm not I'm I, I want to say that personally I'm not a fan that doesn't mean that I I mm. I do respect his job I do respect what he's doing and he has have he has have great results something that we cannot avoid because again it's a maybe his style is different but if the results are with him I mean he's very coherent with what he thinks what he says and what he does and it's a very very important. And he really his 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 strategy follows up his system, his idea, his everything. So so it's something that I respect about him. But what it's really sad is that, for example, he's been he's been with us for three years now or something like that, and he has had very clear concepts in in some aspects of the game. And we we might not like them, but the thing is that they he has been very successful most of the time. Of course, he has uh, areas where he needs to improve, as all of us. But what is very sad is that we cannot recognize it, and we, uh, as a country, as a football country, are keep and we keep talking about the same things that he does. For example, rotations, which is a mistake that he, I believe, that's a mistake that he made when he first had his, his he had his first or second press conference when he said, "My philosophy of life is rotations," because. At the end of the day, he rotates a lot, but it's not much more that one and what he, he doesn't really rotate much more that a normal national team coach doesn't in the long term. I mean, maybe a normal national team coaches coach changes four players, he changes five or six. But the problem is that he used the world, the word, and now he's being very criticized about it. But he, I mean, for example, there are aspects of the of the new Mexican national team that that we very often forget and it's not good to do for example we used to play with our let's say kind of our mexican national style building up from the back uh, making combinations with the ball trying to get to the opposite goal with uh, build up play and whatever but then after playing with that style we used to to concede very very stupid goals in set pieces in counter attacks after losing the ball mm -hmm. and those are real things that we have improved a lot on a lot, a lot. We are much better defending set pieces. We are much better defending counter attacks. We we don't give as much opportunities as we used to do. And those are things that are not really getting recognized for Juan Carlos Osorio, who have done great, great job in, in some aspects. And and well, it's been. I mean, it's something that I really believe that harms our football. That, that we believe that there's only one way, or only one style of doing things. And that's. I mean, that that's what gets. That, that brings you to a to a Mexican league who has not developed 
their full potential or it's not even close to it's uh yeah i'm very interested i i will i will slightly challenge you on one thing just on the counterattacks um i'm i instantly think back to the chile game um obviously destroyed by the high press and, and quick goals on the counter and then looking back to germany in um and the i think it was, was it the portugal game as well um, in the Confederations Cup when Mexico conceded goals on the counter. I, from a set-piece perspective, absolutely. You know, um, Astoria has been extremely successful, but um, I'm not quite convinced he's, he's solved the... He, he's found the best solution to, to stopping counter-attacks right now. Uh, okay, but, okay, me... gone. Yeah? Okay, well, the, the thing is that if you... If you and I'm sure you do, uh, if you look the game for a for a modern perspective, the football game worldwide, most of the goals are scored from counterattacks. Yes, yes, in, absolutely, absolutely. For example, the most exciting attacking team that I've seen in years right now is Liverpool. Yeah. And if if you take a look of how they score, even playing uh, as a local team yesterday, it's mostly are counterattacks and set pieces. So, yes. of course, that uh, you 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 will concede goals in counterattack. But what I meant is, and, and, and I totally agree with you in, in some aspects, I meant that we do not concede goals in counter-attack when we face teams which are not better in the, let's say, we, we, that don't really have more, more resources than we do. Right, yeah, the, yes. The, I, I've, I've named three teams that are um, arguably stronger yeah. or, no, than Mexico. And you're totally yeah. right. That leads me to, my, to my, one of the critics, the biggest critics that I have for what Juan Carlos Osorio has done with the national team. The team has been great against uh, the team has been great against teams who have less resources, but has been until the last time who, who really did got better against uh, Poland and Belgium. We we have been very weak against teams who are who have the same or more resources than we do. That mm. that's that's a thing that I, I really criticize and I and that's something that it's going to be to be it's going to need to be proven in the World Cup. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think that's a very, very pertinent point. Um, certainly the results have been superb for the most part, especially you look at how easy the qualification for the World Cup was uh, compared to the, the last qualification, which was very nerve-wracking for a large part. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I fundamentally agree that um, with Osorio, the the big challenge is is always the, going to be the World Cup. That's what he's been building for. He seems to have become a lot more, I would say, solid in his team lineups. The rotations have have decreased, which is understandable. He's just sort of found out the players he likes. Fair enough that he he spent a couple of years trialing them out, and we we will see for the World Cup. What what are you what are your thoughts? Do you do you think they can get to get to the quarterfinals this time? Well. To be honest, that's a way of analyzing that I really do not like because <laughs> I mean, we far have too had... simplistic a question, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, it's at the end of the day, uh, Juan Carlos Osorio's tenure as a as a head coach of the Mexican National Football League will be remembered for that, and that's that's a sad thing, but it, it is how it is. I do believe that uh, I do believe that we have had that we have right now in front of us the the hardest uh, 
uh, World Cup scenario that we've done in the last at least four World Cups. Mm. Uh, we do have a very, very difficult group because, well, we face Germany, which is, if it's not the best, it's one of the top three teams in the world. It's a very tough team to, to beat. They will really be trying to avoid uh, facing Brazil in the round of 16. And uh, that, that that's our first game. Then we face a style that has uh, always been very tough for us. The Korea has been a team that always, it's always uh, very difficult to beat for us. Last time we faced them, I can remember, was, in the, was during the Olympics. And, uh, I mean, we really struggled. We lost and we got eliminated from them. And last, we're, we're facing Sweden, which is a team that has historically... And, well, I'm, I'm happy to say that with Juan Carlos Sor, we have gotten much better facing that kind of direct game. Mm. But historically, we have struggled a lot when we face those kinds of those kind of teams. And, I mean, if you manage to get over this, these three teams and, and get into the next round, you'll face Brazil, which is, for me, the best Brazil I've seen in the last eight years. Absolutely. So, and it, it's, it is a tough seed. The, the draw was not good for us but on the other hand if we manage to get to our fifth our very very talked and very famous fifth game then why don't think uh, on going for all so it's a really tough draw isn't it a really tough draw either way do you see Osorio staying right now well to be honest uh, I'm not sure why why would Osorio would like to stay I mean he would I mean he has been he hasn't been treated the way with respect, even with respect, in, in some situations. And he, I mean, he has his idea. He w he won't change. I I know personally a very good friend of him who worked with him, and uh, who used to work with him. And uh, he won't change his idea, and it's okay. And it's what has given him results uh, in the last years, and he shouldn't. So I, if you're asking me, if I would be Osorio, I wouldn't be staying. I'll I'd rather go otherwise. Because, other place because I mean he has not been treated the way he has he, he, he should have been or any coach yeah I think um, I think most most can agree with that whether you like him or you don't like him whether you agree with his strict philosophies or not um, I'm certainly one that has been critical of some of his philosophies um, particularly with his obsession over tall players but yeah his, his treatment hasn't hasn't been great and um the position of a Mexican national team boss is, is clearly not an easy one. I just want to come back just before we finish to um, Liga Mekis, the development of the league and the Mexican national team as well. Obviously, in recent years, we've seen an influx of foreign players coming into the league as the league has grown, as the league has relaxed its, its policies towards foreign players. Some people think that um, with the league growing, it can harm the development of the Mexican player. Do you believe that the two can work together or do you believe that there is perhaps a trade-off of having a strong domestic league and a strong national team? I believe, I personally believe, it's a great question again, I personally believe that it has nothing to do one with the other. I believe that what, we need, what, what, what really needs to be shown is character by Mexican players and you start, see, you start seeing players like, for example, Antonio Briseño, who went to Portugal, Omar Govea, who went to Belgium. And as soon as Mexican players, who are not maybe good enough at this point to play in Mexico's top division, realize that they can go elsewhere in the world, 
right now in a globalized uh, world and play in good leagues. It could be in Europe, it could be in South America. We have now players playing in Chile. Yeah. We have players, and even the players who are a little bit uh, are, are, are a little bit under that level, they can still play in Central America. And as soon as players realize that there are a lot of opportunities elsewhere, Mexican football would win overall. Because again, the diversity of players, the diversity of experiences that players will get will only help and, and will make a much 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 better and more rich mexican football it's very interesting to hear such similar comments uh to those that i hear from people so often in 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 english football um with uh so many people obviously in just in mexico and in england you can have a great life even being a sub by by never really getting on the pitch very often and there is as you were saying, you know, you're encouraging people there to, to go out, expand their horizons and, and don't be afraid of moving abroad to make it work, to, to develop as a player. And the exact same thing is, is said very, very often in England. Coming back to something you were saying before about the lack of diversity within Liga Mekis, tactically, I would say definitely there is, there is a lack of diversity. You see most teams lining up in a 4-3-1 formation. They generally like to, to play out from the back somewhat and they generally have quite a fluid um, attacking system. I've been talking about this a, a fair amount recently. Um, what would you like to see added in terms of tactically, tactical diversity into Liga Mekis? Well, I, I believe that, I mean, again, I'm, I like to see just diversity. I believe that I love when, when Everybody has a different style of doing things. I mean, and it's been proved. I, I read a book uh, recently, uh, The Numbers Game is the name of the book. You might have already read it. I have. I have. And, uh, <laughs> there's a very, very interesting chart when you see how they, they analyze some uh, very typical, very basic statistics in the, in the top four leagues in Germany. Bundesliga, in the Premier League, in the Spanish First Division, and in Italy. And what what is very what was very interesting for me is that in every every league, the stats were very similar at the end of the day. Yeah. Shots, shots on target, yeah. goals, goals scored, everything was very similar. So, I mean, styles do make everything richer. I do not believe there is a better style than the other. I do believe that every style. It's better in any given circumstance, but uh, I, I, it's not that I would like to to see any particular uh, new style in the Liga Mekis. But what I would really like to see, it's a better uh, a better strategy, uh, a, a team or teams that that do really manage better strategies for specific games. For example, in Mexico, I. I believe that coaches don't really uh, build a, a game plan and a strategy for, for every specific game. So uh, that's something that I would really like to, to, to see more. I mean, in Mexico, for example, uh, five, eight weeks ago, I can't remember, there was a game where a team went to Azteca to play America and really uh, had a posture that it's nothing, that ha it's something that, hasn't, that happens very, very, that really, I mean, happens in a very, very few times in, in Mexico. That it's a team that really uh, builds a very defensive low block with eight, ten players. 
and really wait for the other team to attack them and try to get something in a counter-attack or some, something that you see very, very often in England when, uh, let's say, uh, Swansea plays against uh, Man United or in Spain with you when uh, Leganes plays Barcelona or something like that. Mm. A few examples, quick examples. It's something that you, you don't really never see in Mexico. It's a, it's a very simple example, but it's, it's something. And what happened is America... Uh, couldn't score. The game ended in, an, in a 0-0 score. Of course, the visiting team was felt very good about themselves. But at the end of the of the match, the the comments from American players, from American players, were, "It's impossible to play against a team who 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 quit the game, who really doesn't want to win the game." So so I mean, we we really need to get exposed to to much more situations because th- that's what that's what gets you the real experience and that's what really makes you grow. Especially when you enter international football, you're going to encounter all sorts of styles, um, ideas, ways of playing. And like you say, if you've, if you've never been exposed to, to that before, then, then you are going to struggle with it. Exactly. So one last thing on tactics um, before I wrap this up. Now, obviously the intense pressing game has become a dominant feature of so many European teams, many teams having massive success with it. You've mentioned Liverpool already in this podcast, who've been phenomenal at pressing and scoring so many goals from quick counterattacks. Now, Mexico is a unique country in the sense that it, it has such a high average altitude. So many teams play at altitude. And of course, there's generally... Um, it's generally pretty hot during matches. Do you think this, you know, I, I say it probably does limit the ability to press. Do, do you, would you agree with that? And, and do you think that's a problem for the development of Mexican football? I do not think that's a problem. But although what you're saying is right, I still haven't seen a team since Pachuca when, when they won the last championship who is really a dominant team in their home ground. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm explaining myself. Because no, no, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. I, I, of course, uh, sometimes teams need to come from Guadalajara to play to against Pumas at 12 o'clock in the altitude of, of Mexico City. And, and historically, the results, of course, benefit the local team. And, of course, there's a very peculiar... Uh, uh, scenario of, of circumstances to play, but still, I I haven't seen a team who has really taken advantage of that since that Pachuca, and that Pachuca went off to win the championship. So, so I I do believe that it's it's important. I do believe that of course it affects a, a game, a single game, but I I don't really believe that that affects the 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 average performance of the league or something that I do 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 really must. I mean, everywhere, the home field advantage is something you need to, to take advantage of when you're the local team. And, and, and I believe that it's not done as it could be done in, in Mexico, at least. Do you think, therefore, that the teams have, particularly at home, perhaps, have the potential to, to press more to make the most of, their, of being at home? Well, every team needs to design their strategy based on the circumstances because even if you are the local team or the home team and you're facing a team like America, uh, I mean, you need to, to evaluate if you're really, even though you're at home, if you really 
can uh, assume a posture of uh, of a uh, of the team that needs to to go and and propound and and uh, to go on and, and try to to win the game. In the other hand, for example, uh, there are teams who are. Uh, I mean, it's it's a funny thing. It's a curious thing. But for example, Necaxa, I believe it's a much better team playing on the road than playing uh, at home this season. So you'll rather go and play them in their stadium than playing in, in your in your stadium. That that might be because of their style of play. But mm. again, yeah. And I, I I'm really happy with what Necaxa is doing. I I, I really like what what Nacho Ambriz has done there. But again, I mean, there's teams are do not have a real a, a very different strategy uh, for, for 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 each game, and that of course uh, affects directly the. The, the results. I mean that. I mean that. Then you're waiting for your style of play and your your capacity or your uh, ability to execute it as good as you do, as good, as good as you can every single game. And football is not as easy as that anymore. Yeah, that, that's something that um, I'm really pleased you brought that up. Actually, it's it's an aspect of Liga Mekis that I've perhaps forgotten a little bit about recently. Uh, but I, looking back over the seasons um, that I've watched. I remember so many occasions where the first few weeks of the season, I'm, I'm intensely watching as many games as possible to try and learn about how the team's playing, perhaps with a new coach, obviously with new signings. And then I'd find, you know, 10 weeks later, you're into the season and it's like, yeah, well, yeah, that's how they're playing. I mean, I know how they play. That's how they play every game. <laughs> uh, I only need to watch a couple of games to learn this. And, and uh, yeah, there is a little adaptation. Um, and... <laughs> To, to finish yeah. that in a in a personal experience way, for example, this season with Puebla, one of the first games of the of the season, we we went to to play a road game, and we, from my point of view, we actually got destructed strategy-wise. I mean, the other team and the other coach for for one time did study us and then uh, had a strategy to to really contrast and to destroy us, and and they did. They were very successful, and what had really so, 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 um, surprised me a lot is that I didn't see that strategy again in the rest of the season. Wow, very so, interesting. So it's very interesting. Yeah. But it, it is how it is. Absolutely. So, um, more more focus on the opposition is, is perhaps something. Um, that... And and Montreal, every team, and I'm sure of this, uh, has people on charge of analyzing the opposition and mm. it's, not such a, it's not a very difficult thing to do i mean uh, there are a lot of people who, who, who know football enough or tactics and have their coaching degree so they can really uh, bring down to pieces a, 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 a team performance a team analysis the strengths and the, the weaknesses how do they do set pieces but what i think is the most important thing after this is to really take the the relevant things from the opposition and adapt them. Of course, uh, being aware of your of your weakness and your strengths as a team, and adapt the, and then adapt a, a, a specific game strategy. Mm. And uh, and that's that's really what brings the game to the next level and which makes the game every game interesting and with and and i believe that the teams that that manage to do that uh, are the teams that more often than not win win the 
win high percentage of the games in the world. And that's that's why in Mexico, I believe, that's one of the another reasons why in Mexico, I believe that no team really wins 80% of the points. Uh, Toluca might get close this time, but I'm not sure it's it's because of that. I haven't mm. made I haven't I haven't, haven't uh, make an analysis about it, so I cannot talk about it right now. I don't feel comfortable with it, but uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't think that's the reason. All right, uh, fantastic. Okay, I'm gonna end uh, this podcast there, and uh, I just want to say on behalf of myself and I'm sure the people listening to this podcast, thank you very very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. For joining us today jonathan the insight that you've offered has been fascinating for myself i would say it's also been inspirational it, it's definitely it's given me new ideas it's it's given me yeah it, it's inspired me to think about what i do and uh, what i want to do in the future so um thank you very very much thank you tom and hope it's been interesting for everybody Okay, so if you'd like to keep up with all of Jonathan's work, obviously with Puebla and the St. Kitts and Nevis uh, national team as well, you can follow him on Twitter at Jonathan Himmel. Himmel is uh, H-I-M-E-L. So that's where you can find him on Twitter and uh, his account will be linked when I upload this as well. So you can just click on his name and find him there. Of course, if you don't follow me already, you can find me at TomH underscore 36 on Twitter. And you can follow at the Colourful Kit as well to keep up with all the podcasts produced. All that's left for me to say is thanks again to Jonathan um, for joining me today. And I will catch you all next time on another edition of the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra.